I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now remember when I was kind of a new believer and I was reading maybe through the Gospel of John for the first time, I thought, why did Jesus call this a new commandment? I mean, the Bible's told us lots of times up till now to love each other. And Jesus has said love each other more than once up till now. Why does he call this a new commandment? And then I noticed he says, just as I have loved you. And it hit me, whoa. He's saying, love one another the way I love. Now the rabbis uh, of Jesus' time had told their disciples to love each other, but they would always use words like phileo, which is a word that roughly translates to, to warmth and friendship and, and, you know, loving, lovable people. You know, somebody's lovable, it's not too hard to love them, but go ahead, do that. But Jesus said love with supernatural love, love with the love of God. Whoa, only God can love with the love of God. Exactly. And that's what Jesus is called to do, to love with a love that we don't have to give, that we can only be vessels through which his love transfers itself. Agape love, for those of you who want the Greek word. A lot of you know that. I'm going to ask Doreen Hendley up here. Doreen is one of the people whose testimony seemed to be really appropriate to this last Sunday in our Consume series. Most of you, well, a lot of you probably know Doreen. Doreen works here. She's on staff and in the office, and so we get to hang out a lot. You want to sit down here, Doreen? And I'm supposed to do this, let Alan know we've got the, the, the wireless mic here for Doreen. Doreen, um, you're, I feel so talk show doing this. I love it. <laughs> but first, this commercial. No. Doreen, your story is kind of about how God worked in a bigger way than any one person. Would you share that with us? Correct. Um, mine is a story of receiving God's blessings and love over the last few weeks. Um, it, it came about when I received um, some disturbing news via a telephone call, and it left me in a very difficult place. Uh, that was one weekend. The following Thursday... As I checked my mailbox here at work, I found a thank you note from a small group thanking me for the work that I do here and um, sharing that they pray for the staff and session and deacons to help with the, the role that we all have. Um, to be honest with you, it blew me away. I sat and looked out the window and cried. <laughs> The following Friday morning, it had started to snow, and a volunteer from another area walked in my office and said, I have a gift for you, beautifully wrapped with a bow on it, just gave it me, walked out. On the Sunday, as most of you all did, had about nine inches of snow everywhere, I came back from church and drafted a very difficult email that I had to write. I had just put the last full stop, for those of you who went to England, uh, period, to the email, and I caught a glimpse out of the corner of my eye, a movement, 
And I got up and looked outside. And there was a man clearing the pathway to my door of the snow. Not only did he do that, he cleared the whole drive with a shovel. And we have a large drive. And then he vanished, right? Then he, <laughs> he knows who he is. <laughs> the following Tuesday, I was out with the, a group at lunch. And somebody else picked up the tab. And then we go on to Maundy Thursday. And a member of a small group, uh, not sorry, a group that's in the church, uh, came in to the staff with a gift for all of us. They had bought us a coffee mug filled with lots of goodies, just to say thank you. Last Friday, there was yet again another candy in my box. You all know who you are, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thanks so much. Is it safe to say that all these people got together and knew Doreen needed some loving, and they hatched a plan to do all this? Nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quite sure nobody knew that what the other was doing. So thank you. Yeah. I love the passage in, in John where it says, His love is perfect. Perfected. He, he desires that his love be perfected in us. And you notice it doesn't say you. It's not the singular thing. No, no one person who ministered to Rain during this, this last period of time knew that they were part of a conspiracy on the part of the Holy Spirit. God was perfecting his love in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Doreen. You can applaud just like on a talk show. Each gave little things. It added up because God added up the pieces and made something bigger out of it. You know, it's not up to us to decide when or where or how. It's up to us merely to be open to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us. And on that note, I'd like to invite the Shryocks, Ron and Nancy Shryock up here. This stool is too far away for husband and wife. Nancy, you're up first. All right. God provided, I think it's safe to say, both the signal and the means to respond to that signal to Nancy on something recent. Share that with us, Nancy. Yeah. Um, first of all, don't tell anything to Drew or Mitch that you don't want to share from up here. I've learned that. Um, it started a couple months ago. I got my visa bill, and um, it was like $340. I paid it. The next bill came, and they credited the payment twice. And my first... My first thought was, yes, money to spend. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, Jesus wouldn't do that, would he? Jesus would make it right. So I went into the credit union and gave it to the girl, and I said, I think there might be a mistake here. And she checked it and double-checked it, and she called the main office and said, no, everything's fine. You're fine. So I went home and wrote a check to Christian Children's Fund. That's one of the funds that I give money to. And I just want to say it's really a blessing to give somebody else's money away. <laughs> I think it's, it's cool that Nancy's experience was just one of those little, little God things that happens, you know? The thing is that we're, we're called to be open to whatever God is doing. And sometimes, more often than not, it's a small thing. Sometimes it's a big thing. When Jesus spoke to the, uh, the young 
rich ruler in, in the gospel story, the guy said, what should I do? Jesus said, give up everything you have and follow me. His was a big challenge. He was called to a big thing. Yesterday there was a worship, not a worship, well it's kind of, it actually was sort of a worship service. There was a celebration service of the life of Alex Kalubi. And for those of you who knew Alex, and that's many, many of you, Alex passed away this last week, just after Easter. He was able to have Easter morning with us. Alex was called to something very big. The last years of Alex's life, the last eight years of Alex's life, Alex suffered from a debilitating condition that virtually paralyzed him. And yet, if you could hear the testimonies, for those of you who weren't there at the, the service yesterday, it was not only about a life consumed with love for God and for others, but about a life that shined brightest with that consumption during that challenge, during those eight years. And also, this has to be said, the whole Kalubi family, Jackie and Alex's children, shine with that light too. And it was just an amazing thing to hear that consumed story. And sometimes it's little things, like Nancy's. I, I spoke with a pastor a few months ago at a conference who kind of sheepishly admitted to having his eyes open to something. There was an older gentleman in his congregation who'd been involved in lots of ministry activity, but, but recently, in recent years, due to health reasons, the only thing he was able to do, his one little kind of act of kindness, was to just check on his elderly neighbors to make sure that their newspapers were on the porch where they could reach them. And this, this pastor admitted to thinking that was pretty piddling. Not not much, but you know, the, the guys served the Lord in big ways in the past. Until he found out from someone else over the last several years, this gentleman has placed their papers on the porch. He's always looked to see if the one from the day before is there. And if not, he makes contact. And he's directly saved the lives of several people over the last couple of years. Just little stuff like that. God calls us to big and little stuff. Ron... Ron has a, a, a few words to share with us about the need to just be open to hear what God's saying and I think safely to say to be willing to take risks when called you to. Yeah, this uh, really came around to Monday, Thursday. Um, we, uh, Mitch had uh, invited some elders to do some uh, things at the service there. One of those things was to wash hands uh, or wash feet. And... Um, I didn't really find where washing hands was in the Bible, and that didn't seem right to me. Um, and one of the things that I really learned out of the Consume series was that God continued to give out of his uncomfort. When he was uncomfortable, he would give. So um, I heard God really telling me that, you know, Ron, you need to wash feet. You do. I want you to do that. Um, so um, I, I posed that uh, uh, to the other elders, and there were some other ones that came alongside, and and then we, we did indeed do that. And um, it was an interesting activity because the uncomfort never went away, but um, it was uh, surpassed both by two other feelings at the same time. One was uh, sort of an awesomeness that God would allow me to serve him in that way, and the other one was just sort of a fulfillment and a blessing um, that I was able to give that to some other people. For anybody who was not here for Monday service, Monday service, Monday Thursday service, uh, we wrestle here a lot. The elders wrestled with whether to take the risk or do something that could 
fall on its face, be awkward, be terribly uncomfortable, the whole washing of feet thing, and is that relevant 2,000 years later? And, and it was Ron that kicked off the debate of, I think we need to take the risk. And then all of a sudden there was this wave of emails from different elders on session saying, I'm really uncomfortable with this, therefore I volunteer to do it. And it was a blessed time. I know that Sue Briner, poor Sue, hadn't had anybody's feet to wash yet. And so I walked up here because I felt intensely uncomfortable doing so. And I figured, well, okay. And I walked up, and as Sue washed my feet, we both began to cry. And it was just this incredible moment of openness and embarrassment. And God just used that to bless us. God says, take risks. Take risks. Thanks, you guys. I wanted to share just a few uh, words of my own testimony of this time before we open it up for a little bit of popcorn testimony here in a few moments. Um, my consumed experience during the last couple of months has not really particularly been about money. I have felt led to increase my tithe slightly, our tithe slightly, but that, that was just icing. The real cake for me has been a personal journey that I'm still in the midst of that's been extremely uncomfortable, extremely embarrassing, and extremely Holy Spirit-led. Uh, most people, if you ask them, if Mitch, those of you who know me or have seen me up here before, would say, oh, well, he's, he's not only an extrovert, but he's an extreme extrovert. He's the guy whose picture is next to the word in the dictionary. But interestingly enough, I found out recently, thanks to a test that I'm actually an introvert, a closet introvert, if you will. Um, there's a test here that's been around for a long time, the Myers-Briggs personality test. kind of first heard about it when I came here three years ago, and everybody talks about it constantly. I'm a J, I'm an S, I'm a P, and I thought, well, these guys are into a major cult here. This is, this is not healthy. And, uh, you know, I kept waiting for somebody to walk up to me and say, uh, uh, I'm an N, but my moon is an S, you know. And then I took the Myers-Briggs test and found out some very interesting things about myself that I've only recently begun to grapple with. One is this idea of being an introvert. You see, I'm the kind of person that lives in his head. I live in my head. My joy, I refuel alone. My joy is to sit at my computer and write and, 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 and tell stories and, and then put together some kind of message to bring to people. In fact, it, it's, it's a finished package when I bring it. Janice, who works in the office here, Janice and I are, are like... Hi, Janice. We're like extreme, we're polar opposites. We were talking one time, and, and, I, and, and I, I had this image that if, if there's a group of people, Janice is the person that comes to them with no agenda and says, what are your needs? How can I serve? And I'm the kind of guy that comes in and goes, look at the finished package I've brought you. Well, God's been really speaking to me about this through this whole consume thing. God basically has been saying to me, you are consumed with your own thought processes. You are consumed with thinking things through and developing conclusions and bringing that finished package to people and not including people in the process. You exclude people from the process. This has been rough. When, when this hit me a few weeks ago, I sobbed and I said, God, how did I ever get to be so arrogant? And God said, it's okay, we'll work through it. 
We'll, we'll, we'll see where we can go here together. But I realize that I do this to everyone. I do this to my friends. I do this to my family. Here, I've thought this through and I've figured out what steps we need to take. Here it is. It's finished. Oh, you disagree? Let me argue into you into agree with this. And God said, you need to let go of being consumed with this exclusion of others in the process and learn to include others in a process that's been all mine till now. It's not natural. I don't like it. But love constrains me. Before we moved here three years ago, I had this, for about a year, I had this amazing mountaintop experience in California. Literally, I would go up to the top of Mount Wilson, where there's an observatory in Los Angeles, and have these wonderful, just me and God, having these wonderful worship times together. And not too long before we moved away, that just dried up. And I've been looking and looking and looking to get back that experience of God's presence. And during this consumed series over the last month or so, God has been saying, Mitch, if you want to experience me again, you're going to have to experience me in community. Because your love for me cannot be separated from your love of others. And it's not just about bringing your finished package to them. It's about including them in the process. God is God of action. He calls us to be consumed in a hands-on kind of a way. And that's what I find him calling me to. This is just my story. Yours, I'm sure, is very different. And so, Kenny, you want to come on? We're going to open this up just for a few minutes here. If you've got 15, 20, 30 seconds, what would you say, what will you say to us about what God has been showing you over the last couple of months about what it means to be consumed? Please, not all at once. Aha. Cheryl. Um, Teresa, one, Teresa. I'm Sharon. Okay. One thing is this message, just words come through my mind is, like chocolate chip, you see advertisement chocolate chip cookies, and it says consume me. You see these big screen TVs, and they say consume me. And, it, and you hear all this, you see all this, and you go to the grocery store, it says consume me and everything. And you go to the store, like Walmart or something, you see something that says buy me, consume me. Instead, we need to be consumed by God and follow Jesus. Instead of being consumed by all this, I want this and I want that of society. So, Amen. I think that's the thing. And I'm trying to consume less junk food and eat. And I have given up a lot of that stuff. I gave up pop. So, I think we need to be more focused on God and eating healthy than all this other stuff that's consuming our everyday life. Right. Including TV. <laughs> Anyone else? You don't have to come up here. That's why we have this cordless mic. Though, if you want to. I um, went on the trip with the kids to Alabama. And um, I'm sorry, I'm going to cry. <laughs> it was a life changing experience for me. <laughs> There were some things happening at work before I left. And so 
Tony needed an extra leader to go along. And I said, I don't know if I can do this. I need to go talk to my boss. He's off work the same time. And um, I went to him. I proposed something to him, and he gladly accepted. Um, we work in the housing industry, so right now our business is really, really slow. And so he said, offered me to take one day off a week and maybe work for somebody else because my skills can transfer to another job. So Tony said on Tuesday night, he's like, maybe this is your time to find your passion. So I took this trip, and I already have another job I can pick up easily. I've already talked to somebody. But finding what my passion was. And so during this series, you know, I kept, it's been going on for about a year. So we ran into two ladies, Miss Maddox and Miss Francis. Miss Francis is a woman who lives a couple doors down the street and comes and visits the parsonage that we live in when people are there. And people spend time with her when we have, you know, breakfast or dinner there. And she would come and visit a few days And the one morning, I was sitting with her right after breakfast, and the kids were busy with their chores. And just holding her hand, Miss Frances had a stroke a few years ago, so she doesn't talk very well. It's hard to understand. Every once in a while, you'll hear a word come out. And uh, sitting there holding her hands and just looking at her face, and it was like looking at the face of an angel. We were heading home yesterday. We had to say goodbye to her. And that was probably one of the most difficult things I could do because I felt like I could do more for her. I knew there will be other people that come along to help her. But when I said, she was was kind of wondering where we were going, and I said, we're going back home to Cincinnati. And the disappointment in her face it was heartbreaking. And I told her that I loved her. And to hear her words say that she loved me back. And um, that experience changed me. And you know, We were heading home. And Tony says, I think you know what you need to do. I think you're, <laughs> everything's been answered for you. And I said, yeah, I think this was my test this week from God. <laughs> On, um, you know, it's not as important to work four days a week for the money that you make versus maybe working minimum wage one day a week. Everything will still get paid. God will always provide no matter what it is. Amen. Thank you, Donna. Anyone else have a few words they'd like to share with us? Bill? Ah, you're you're just hugging Donna. Anybody else? All right. Share your God stories with people afterwards today. Share them next week. Share them at work. Share them at school. Let the gospel be the story of your life. The gospel is alive in each of us. We live the gospel story. It's ongoing. Donna's is an ongoing story, isn't it? As the musicians get in place and as the deacons get ready to take the offering... Uh, just a, a couple closing words here. 
Uh, Maggie Smith, who's our children's ministry director, sent a story last week, and, and I emailed her back and, and said, I think I'd like to say that during the service. She said, yeah, yeah, go for it. It's a true story about, and I, I don't want to dwell on it, get into it in, in lengthy form, but it's a, it's a story of, of someone, a true story of someone who, growing up during the Depression, was a particularly poor family. And when their church announced that they were going to take a special offering and several weeks from then they were going to give that offering to the poorest family in the church, these people felt really challenged that even we, even we can find something to give these people if we really dig deep. And, and they got together and it was their joy. They had so much fun figuring out how they could scrimp and save and cut corners and not do things they normally did in order to come up with some money. And that Sunday morning finally arrived and everybody put their offerings for this poor family together. And then this family was stunned to find out that they were the poor family. And they had actually put the most money of anybody in the church into the offering. They stood up and they said, we're not poor. We had something to give. And I think the bottom line is that so long as we have something to give, we're rich. In fact... It's not what we have that makes us rich. It's what we give. Amen?